Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hello, I'm Jonathan Bowman-Perks and welcome to my favourite time of the week. And as part of the Inspiring Leadership series, I'm really lucky to have James Batchelor with me. And James is a fascinating man. He's the CEO of Alert Call, which James will talk about a little bit later on, which works very closely with the charity sector, helping older people. Um, and he's also a serial entrepreneur. He's set up and been the founder of about 12 different businesses. And on top of that, he is a trustee of the Silver Line, which was founded by Dame Esther Ranson. Also an idea, he was having almost exactly the same idea at exactly the same time, but Esther pipped into the post, so he decided to work with her. So fascinating guy, and recommended by Neil Yeard, who's a friend of yours. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now, just, just, uh, just in a nutshell. Well, I guess I spend um, probably the bulk of my time being the CEO of this organisation, Alertical, which we founded, which is about developing clever ways of maintaining daily contact with older people and other higher needs people that live on their, their own. Um, you know, why? Because uh, through daily contact you can keep people safe and you can communicate with them about things that are important to them. And we've taken those kind of principles of uh, daily contact and tried to turn it into um, a socially responsible business. But outside of that, I guess I spend quite a bit of time working with the Silver Line. Um, this great charity that you've just mentioned, I'm interested in helping them become um, as sustainable as possible. I also do a little bit of work at Lancaster University, um, sure. part of a thing called the Entrepreneurs in Residence Programme, where we mentor and provide guidance to other young people who might want to go into business at some point. And I guess a lot of my time is spent um, not just with the university, but around that kind of a thing. I'm interested sure. in helping young people um, get their projects off the ground, really. And, and that's a, a great collection of things. You must be a, a hugely busy man. Um, we talked about Dame Esther Ranston and uh, Lee, um, my wife, and the tra charity trustees of our Inspiring Leadership Trust awarded uh, Esther a Lifetime oh, right. Achievement Award Fabulous. for being an inspiring leader herself. Um, and uh, that was, we held that at the Goldsmiths Hall last year and she was, she was fab, spoke really, really well. So she's quite an inspiring leader, but who would you pick out if there was one or two leaders who you found in your lifetime who'd been inspiring? What, who would it be and what were their qualities? Um, I guess there's been a few different people. You know, uh, quite often the people I've ended up in business with, people who are kind of slightly further on in their journey than I am, so I've had something to learn from them. So there was a guy called Peter I used to work with who really taught me to think big. What you was know. Peter Sinning? Uh, it's called Peter Gregory, and Peter you know, he, he's a successful serial entrepreneur. But I guess, um, I guess one of the first books I read which really kind of impressed me was Julian Richer's The Richer Way. I Julian's the hi-fi the hi-fi magnate uh, and I guess that was kind of a revelation out there that uh, well, a revelation to me that um, whilst it's obvious in hindsight if you look after your people your people look after your customers yeah. so that's a brilliant book and I recommend that to almost anybody that comes to work with us. I agree. But also you know my organisation, you mentioned, you know, it does work quite a lot within the charity sector. And some of the most impressive people 
I've met have been charity CEOs or charity leaders because they really give a hundred percent all the time to trying to help people. Yeah. So making a uh, difference in society. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's a woman called Sophie Andrews OBE who has, for the past few years, been the CEO of the Silver Line, and prior to that has been involved in a material way with the Samaritans. But she's had a life that started with tremendous personal hardship, which she's yeah. got over. And yeah, she's been you know, kind of a really um, impressive, uh, Im- impressive source of inspiration over the last couple of years. Great. And then interested in learning as we go through life with lifelong learners, we've been talking about this. And, and which story, and, and you and I were laughing about the fact we've got so many stories of when we've got it wrong and what we've learned from it. But which story would you pick about when you got it wrong as a leader and, and, and how it shaped you now? Yeah, so... There's just so many, isn't there, Jonathan? So, I mean, that, the, 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 the journey is one of making mistakes and learning from them all the time, all the time. And I'm a real believer that failure, failure and more failure is the kind of the ultimate route to success, paradoxically. Yeah. So I guess because lots of the ventures I've started have been, have been just that, they've been startups, we've had to change our mind or make decisions very quickly. Um, in those organisations, you know, we've I, I've stood there and said we're going to go and do this thing now, team. Um, and three months later, I've been confronted with some evidence that means I have to change my mind and choose something different. And I guess well, I'm reminded of Churchill. You must know the Churchill quotes. Churchill was criticised by a member of the opposition party for changing his mind on something, and he said um, the honourable men- member may criticise me for that, but I find. When the situation changes, I change my opinion. What do you do? Yes, that's right. I have heard that. <laughs> well, I like to think that kind of a really good leader tends, and I certainly think this way, tends to think they're right all the time. But you need to be able to completely change your mind without any pride the moment confronted with new evidence. That's great advice. So, so I guess the thing I've got wrong is thinking that um, just because I've changed my mind about the direction of the organisation um, or what it is that we want to do, that other people should be on board like that with it yeah. and of course people are different and some people need to be brought on on the journey in a different way it's the, it's the Kubler-Ross change curve yes. it, that they go through that they're not at the same point so you're all the way down you've gone through the dip and you're up the far side and they're just coming down the dip and they're not quite sure what James yeah, is up to yeah that's right and I think it's only in the past few years I've really begun to properly understand that despite having lots of lots of different ventures I'm quite late to the game in understanding that, Jonathan. Was, so. was it the old um, New York Jewish saying that too soon old, too late smart? Well, there we go. And, you know, I think uh, maybe some of the, maybe you need to ring up some of the people on alert call and just say, can I give you some advice? I'm, I'm starting up a business. Oh yeah, right lad, what you need to do is this. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and if we were to end with uh, a tip or two uh, to other inspiring leaders who are, who okay. are listening into that, what would, what would be your tips? You've got two. Uh, what would it, which, which two would you choose? Gosh, I could, I've got so many tips, but I think the thing that's been really big for me the past few years is realizing that most of the time people are trying to do their best and most of the time people want the best want you know the best for your organization and the best for best for your customers particularly if you're already investing in looking after them in the right way yeah but what stops people from performing at their best and what stops people from moving through the career ladder and progressing often isn't anything to do with skills and i think organizations focus too much on people's skills yeah where what they should be focusing on is helping people to think and believe and understand themselves better and get kind of over themselves. Um, 
you know, what people think and believe about themselves is ultimately what limits their yeah. opportunities. Yeah. So you can have a team member that is, you know is more than capable of achieving astonishing heights. But they don't believe in themselves. But they don't believe in themselves. So I know in you know, my organisation, it's yielded phenomenal dividends that every single team member has got access to coaching, every single team member, therapeutic and personal coaching and leadership coaching, because helping people believe in themselves and work through their own internal and you, and you find it makes a big difference it's, it makes a massive difference in fact every team member at our place has got access to essentially personal coaching a blend of leadership coaching and, and psychotherapeutic coaching and that's completely confidential they can talk to our coaches in absolute confidence and when we've talked to our teams over the past few years about what's the thing that really sets alert a call apart as an organisation it is that kind of investment in them that's brilliant yeah perfect timing James uh, thank you very much yeah, indeed pleasure um, congratulations on the work you're doing James um, I think you are very inspiring Neil said you would be and also he said you'd be very humble about it and go oh, I shouldn't be on here but you should and so thank you I know people will really have enjoyed all that you shared yeah, well, and we'll carry on the conversation well thank you very much thank you Hello, it's Jonathan Bowman-Perks and I'm back with James Batchelor and we're carrying on with Inspiring Leadership Extra. Uh, James, I'm really interested in your, your life experience and what's happened to you and how it's shaped you into the leader you are today. Um, tell, tell us about young, young life. Uh, was it Settle you were growing up in or somewhere in the lakes? Well, I went to school in Settle, you know, yeah. on, the, on the edge of the Yorkshire Dales, which was a yeah. very beautiful place to I love it. Grow up, yeah, and uh, I still spend a lot of time there and don't actually live that far away from there now. Um, I, whereabouts are you now? Um, I live uh, in, well, near Windermere, oh, up, yes. up in the Lake District, so a beautiful part of the world, um, in kind of inspiring, inspiring place to run a business from in the sense that it's a great environment for, yeah. for getting people out and about, out of the office, onto the fells. Yeah. Great place for clients to come and visit, but we really went there because we thought, it would be a lovely environment for my daughter 13 years ago, 14 nearly, to grow up in. Yeah. And that has proven to be the case, actually. Great. So, Great. yeah. It's, okay. It's good. So, so, you grew up in that part of the world. Yeah. Um, who shaped you? What about, you know, what about your parents? Were they quite influential on you as you were growing up? They were, actually. So, both my parents had really kind of traditional, um, I guess you'd say, kind of working class mm -hmm. roles. My dad was uh, a painter and decorator who had a particular interest outside of that in photography and painting. So he was kind of a, a tortured artist, wanting really to be an artist, but whilst making his daytime living you know, as a painter and decorator. And he did very well at that and mm. kind of uh, became kind of quite famous locally for oh, really? doing all the kind of the really interesting houses and the really interesting jobs. And he would paint murals and trompe l'oeil and this kind of thing. And my mum was an um, outrageously hardworking um, kind of cook for the most part of her life, working in both old people's homes and in schools, um, wow. is just the most kind of um, kind of wonderful person who dedicates her her, her 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 time to making sure other people are happy. And you talk in the present about your mum; she's still alive. Yeah, they're both still around. And in yeah. reasonable health. Yeah, they're both in they're both in good health. They're, but it was your grandma who who you saw needing help, which triggered in some ways your business, didn't it? Yeah, it did. I guess, um, yeah, that, that has been a huge, a huge part of, you know, the last kind of section of my life. So yeah, about 15 years ago, something happened with my own 
uh, with my grandma, as you say, which is my mum's, uh, sorry, my dad's mum. Yeah. Um, when she started to lose her independence, she was involved in an accident, uh, which meant that she could no longer drive. Uh, she was 86 at the time. I suggested that she had one of these alarm buttons that you know you see older people wearing to get help in an emergency. She told me to get stuffed. <laughs> she, ne she never wanted one. And it just got me thinking about, hold on a second, how many of the millions of older people have got these panic yeah, buttons yeah. and well, don't wear My mother-in-law's got one, yeah. But I guess my thinking around that is actually to some extent informed by my dad because growing up, my dad, I guess, has quite left-leaning uh, policies. He believes that, you know, we have an absolute obligation to help other people. Yeah. Um, you know, so do I. But growing up, he would say to me, you know, don't work for anybody else. James, work for yourself. Yeah. Okay, work for yourself. It. You know, don't work for the man, do your own thing. But he also was very keen to impress two other things. One, which is that if you're doing okay for yourself, you should really, um, you know, use that to help and look after other people. And we also talked a lot about invention as a kid. So I'd often chat to my dad and my dad would say, you know, you've just got to think of that one idea and it can be quite simple. And if you think of that one idea and you find, find it, that is how you could you know, possibly you know, make a riches. Mm. And I guess, so my dad was um, a hardworking, self-employed painter and decorator with an artistic streak, which he's yeah. gone on to develop now you know, in later life. My mum was a very, very hardworking woman who believed that you spend your time looking after people. Yeah. So, Combined, so that's, that's set some values for you, hasn't it? Yeah, I think that's that's it really. So most of the businesses that we've been involved with, or the ventures we've set up, we've tried to have a strong component of doing the right thing by people in them. Yeah, and, and you talk about we, um, so you've often paired up with one or more people yeah, to, that, to get a business going. Yeah, that's right. So most of my enterprises have been with other people. So. I guess when so I so you're a team player is that, is that your style? Well, I'd, rather than the solo. Oh, I think you better ask other other people. I think it's I think it can be um, such a wonderful and enriching experience to be working with people who you have a genuine connection to. So my first business, I was working with four guys who I literally had met hitchhiking. So I I, I was hitchhiking. What on age road, were you at the stage? Um, Eighteen, I think, or maybe seventeen. I'd already had a job with a financial institution, uh, this is back in the 1990s, where I was trying to convince them that the internet was going to be a big thing. I'd heard of this thing called the internet. I couldn't quite at that time convince the financial institution I was working for, which is, by the way, the only place I've ever worked. Yeah, I've, my, my only job working for somebody <laughs> else. I couldn't get them convinced that this thing called the internet was going to be big. And almost, are they still alive or have they been buried? Oh yeah, they're a big, big successful organisation um, and actually you know, an award-winning organisation with oh, great right. customer services. And great internet access. Well, we'll see. I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure if that's the case, but that week I met some hitchhikers. Uh, well, I was driving my car and picked up a hitchhiker who got in the car and said, oh, have you heard of this thing called the internet? And he was the only other person I had met who actually knew what it was. Wow. And within four weeks I'd quit my job, sold my car and set up a business with that guy and three of, three of his friends. Wow. And so, how did that first one do? Well, we didn't really, so I think for founders... Because you were 18 when you were doing that. Yeah, 17 it? or 18, something like that. I think for founders there's, um, 
there's always this belief that people set things up to make money. My, my understanding really of founders is that's not the case. Probably 80% of founders are either setting things up to have personal freedom yeah. you know, and explore new things or to somehow affect the outside world with an idea in some way. Yeah. It's almost like an yeah. artistic endeavour. I, I find many of the entrepreneurs I talk to, they, they've got a passion and idea about something. The making of money is a spin-off that comes from it, but the, it's the burning desire to make something or do something or a product or a service for people. I mean, my friend who I'm meeting later on tonight, Ian Pierce. Ian's passionate, his father had a stroke and he saw how poorly uh, resourced things were for physio for his dad to get over the stroke. So he's designed uh, an incredible product, um, which is, is really um, helping people proactively with neural problems, get mm -hmm. back on the road and get physio. And it's all done through an app. Okay. And he's, he's brilliant, but it was from a need, a bit like you with your grandma. Absolutely. He saw his father needing some help, and, and his business has grown from that. Yeah. Yeah, so, so you, you, you're a serial entrepreneur. How many businesses have you founded? I think it's 10, 11, or 12, that's or something that's like a lot. that. Yeah. But I think the, the point I was trying to make was that, yeah, you, you set things up. You set things up because you think there's a need, there's a need in the world, or because it's going to be exciting, or it's going to give you freedom. Or mm. for me, I guess, for lots of my life, it's almost been a compulsion. Yeah. You know, I've had an idea, and I can't. So you're an inventor, really, as well, aren't you? Uh, yeah, an to, inventor a, of things, or an ideas. inventor of things, maybe. You know, um, or products or services. I guess I just like exploring ways of doing things differently, and I particularly like it when you stumble across something which is a little bit counterintuitive, but is kind of you're more effective than the prevailing paradigm, yeah. you know. And so, so how does the how does the artistic creative father feel about his son? What does he think about what you're doing? Well, I, I have to assume he's he's fairly pleased with how <laughs> things are turning out. <laughs> has he not out. told you? Yeah, no, he, he, he has told me. I guess that with Alerta Call, um, I think he'll be elated the fact that we've managed to create a sustainable business that looks after the people that work in it whilst doing something really positive for the customers that we serve as well. We also, uh, you know, we're a very kind of altruistic organisation. We do lots of good. So I think my dad thinks, well, that's that's the kind of business that everybody should you have. have working for you? Oh, it's not a huge business. I think there's about 80 on the payroll. It's a lot. Yeah, yeah, so it's yeah. quite a big business. Uh, and and that's up in the lakes? Yeah, we split between Windermere in the Lake District, where about half of our people are, and half are down in Warrington in Cheshire. Oh, yeah. yeah. So we do that for resiliency and redundancy around our services. Um, but I think a few minutes ago you asked kind of what was that first experience of kind of creating a business like yeah, when, yeah. when I was a teenager. I actually think of all the things I've been involved with, it was the most joyous and magical because we actually didn't have any expectation or any real desire to make money in any way. We were kind of naive in thinking that that wouldn't be an issue at some point. We genuinely felt like it was this, uh, well, every day was about learning something new yeah. and uh, creating something new. It was, it was completely creative. Probably not a surprise given the guys that I set that up with were musicians previously right. and they were quite creative types. So actually in a lot of the ventures. And what happened to that? Has it died off? It still exists. It's still out there. I'm nothing to do with it. It's still kind of um, trickling along. But a, a couple of years into that, I met my now wife. This is a long time ago now. What's this? 23 years ago. Yeah. Um, we were 
kind of early pioneers in that business of internet chat rooms. So this is back in the early 90s. And I actually met my wife in an internet chat room. So we were one of the very kind of early internet relationships. That's great. S- still, still with her, have a daughter now. Yeah. And that took me away from that venture because I wanted to move um, from the north of England down south, which is where she lived. Yeah. And I got down there and didn't know what I was supposed to be doing and just had this hunch, which has served me very well, which is just to connect to people and tell them what I'm into. So I actually emailed and wrote to about 50 local business owners and just said, hi, I'm James, I've moved to the area. This is what I'm into, do you fancy a coffee? Nothing more, nothing less. And did you get many replies? Uh, I got a handful of replies and one of those replies, I went off and we set up a business up with that person. That's amazing. You know, and I think the power of... You really are quite a free spirit, I think. Uh, sort of this, this belief in having a go at something. So... Taking a risk. Well, I think that's, again, partly to do with my dad. So my dad, growing up, um, developed an interest in fell running. And so living in the hilly north of England, it's quite easy to find a, a hill, a fell, <laughs> for, for, you know, so... Not everybody knows what the word fell means. Fell is a northern word for hill. Yeah. It's not obvious um, to absolutely everybody. I've done fell running. I did the yeah. Cypress Double Mountain Marathon. Ah, that's wow. my big thing, so it's yeah. a crazy thing to do. Okay, how are your knees? Uh, shot through a bit. The, uh, there yeah, you go. So, yeah. so my dad got into fell running quite late in life, and I had an, or have an older brother who was a kind of a fell running champion. All right. So my dad made me enter several fell races, and I was kind of the fat, geeky kid that would always come in last. You're not fat and geeky. Well, um, I'm, I'm certainly not fat, but I'm a little, still a little bit geeky. Um, but I guess coming in, you know, five minutes or ten minutes after everybody else had come in over and over again, whilst you've got this kind of glowing championship uh, superstar older brother who wins every race, was character forming. And I remember my dad saying at the time, oh, this will be character forming some. And I didn't believe him. But I actually think, damn him, he might... Uh, he might have been right in that respect. And what did it form in your character, the, the man you are today? Well, I think I became desensitised to caring, for the most part, what other people think. Yes. And I, I kind of became desensitised to caring about failure. So I don't really see, for the most part, when we set things up, what the risks are in failing. Most people yeah. don't give things a try because they're scared of what other people might think. Yes. On some fundamental this level. This is a very interesting aspect, yeah. yeah do, do I, I come across a number of tech CEOs and they really uh, believe in themselves almost to a point of an extremist arrogance, but they certainly are massively confident what they're doing and, and, and really you can't convince them otherwise. They are sure that this is the right thing. And, and people do sign up and follow them. Yes. Um, well, I think that self-belief, isn't it, is really an important attribute of leadership because I think if you don't have self-belief, absolute self-belief in what you're doing, then you can't really authentically connect with the people with that that story. So self-belief drives people to want to connect with you and to believe in you. Correct. Well, also, that was my next question, which is going to be having self-belief when you hit a dark time in your life. Mm Mm-hmm. So what would be a story you'd share with those uh, on the podcast with a dark time in your life when things didn't go well and how you picked yourself up and what you learned from it? That's a good question. 
So I can talk about plenty of dark times. Okay. I'm not sure how I pick myself up, but I have a theory which I'll, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll share. So give us one of the stories. So we built a, a really successful business, you know, you know, many years ago, which grew to hundreds of thousands of customers, but it grew too quickly. Yeah. I was in my early 20s. We were uh, possibly kind of ill-informed as to how much, how much structure you know, we should have been putting in place, how much we should have been investing in our people. The upshot was it was kind of a bit of a dot-com company. We had a bright, a bright idea that grew very, very quickly. It started with me and one other guy and 250 people about 18 months later. And there was just no structure, process or controls. We were doing the best we could. It just grew very, very quickly. Um, and ultimately, that unravelled. You know, despite having worked, all of us, you know, 100, you know, every conceivable out waking hour we were working in that enterprise to build it into this huge thing. And we overstretched ourselves and created too many trading subsidiaries. We thought that we could do anything. We had too much self-belief, not enough truth-seeking. You know, we were not keeping ourselves in check. And the upshot was is we had to wind that business up and that took a couple of years as well because we wanted to do that in the most kind of honourable way possible, you know, to make sure that you know, everybody got what they kind of deserved out of it. Mm. And um, it was my first taste of having had a huge high and then having that all taken away and having to spend a couple of years, you know, rebuilding. And, and how does that shape the way you approach business now? Well, I guess that it was a big factor actually in Alerta Call, our current business, that I wanted something that was absolutely sustainable, that growing things quickly, you know, isn't, you know, isn't always the best idea. Mm. And also to focus on one or two core things, it's my belief, and do them better than anybody else could possibly do. We launched about 20 products and services in that previous venture. No wonder we were stretched in, no wonder we couldn't kind of, mm. you know, keep all the plates spinning. Yeah. My view with this enterprise has been to focus absolutely ruthlessly on quality and doing one thing better than anybody else. Uh, and you're so right, James. I'm just thinking of uh, the charity that, that my wife founded, the Enterprise Leadership Trust, and uh, I'm a trustee supporting her. Uh, and that's always the, the dilemma, is that she's so passionate about helping these vulnerable girls. There's many different things that she gets asked to do, and she does get stretched a bit thin. Mm -hmm. uh, and always the advice seems to be just, just hone it down to two or three products or one main thing. And it, it's always tempting to, to cover your bases and have a number of different things, but, but it seems that your experience is less is more. Yeah, I think that's, that's definitely right. Yeah. It's psychologically, it's psychologically so much better uh, as well in terms of having less plate spinning. Well, you know what, what you're on about. I mean, I, I find that um, when we talk about the Inspiring Leadership Compass, which is one we've designed, that there's one area about PQ, purpose and meaning and spiritual uh, quotient. It's not about religious, it's about having a, a clear sense of what your life purpose is. And when you're living your life on purpose, it's very clear, but when you you come off purpose, all sorts of wheels come off various wagons. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it sounds as if your experience has been about being purposeful. Yeah, I think that's right. My purpose, my purpose has shifted and moved around. You know, the things that I'm doing in my life have changed a lot. What is, I, what's your life purpose now? Well, yeah, I just think life is really short, and as you get older, it becomes increasingly apparent when you see people disappearing, you know, from it. 
And, and how, old you, how old are you now? I'm 42 at okay. the moment. Um, um, clearly at the moment, I wouldn't be saying it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm 43, no. Um, yeah, I'm 42 years old and I'm trying to seek a life of adventure, really. Yeah. A life of adventure that also kind of enriches and pulls other people along with it. Yeah. Because I think most of us who've been even vaguely successful at anything, and I don't mean even financially successful, yeah. I just mean have got anything out of our lives that's vaguely positive, have often got that, and we often don't like to admit it to ourselves because we're in some way privileged. And privilege isn't necessarily financial. Privilege can just be as much as having parents who love you and tell you. Yes. Yeah, you know, because there's plenty of kids growing up that don't even experience that. So I feel that my parents, whilst they, uh, you know, they had their own challenges to work through, they were working very hard. The one tremendous kind of privilege they bestowed upon me was knowing that I was loved. And in fact, secondly, they bestowed the value of hard work. So I grew up with that privilege. And I think, I think having uh, a strong role model as a parent is very important, or parents. Uh, I just had my father's kills, so I just had my mother. But, but thinking about losing somebody, you have a good friend who introduced you and recommended you as an inspiring leader, Neil Yerd. Do yeah. you want to just talk about Neil? Because I think we should talk about him. He's quite a special guy. What's his story? So Neil, um, Neil is, uh, he currently actually works as a, a, a leadership coach, which kind of, kind of conceals his rather history, interesting history as um, an officer in the British Army. So Neil, was an officer in the British Army for many years, serving um, in a, a, as a colonel in a logistics capacity, also in a, um, with the Gurkhas as well. He was involved with the supply chain in Iraq, and he had a, a phenomenally kind of adventurous life and a phenomenally impressive and wonderful wife called Michelle. Um, so that's Neil and Michelle Jurd. And Michelle was a Puma helicopter pilot in the RAF and yeah. Um, eventually, I think, uh, possibly having been shot at, um, you know, one too many times, decided now might be the time to start a family. So she uh, left the RAF, started a family, and um, the, with the idea that Neil would follow a few years later. So they had two uh, two beautiful girls, and uh, unfortunately, um, when the girls were little, um, Michelle was, um, you know, Killed in a car accident. I mean, there's no other. There's no other way to say it. Which was obviously a huge tragedy. And they were in the car. Uh, the girls. The girls were uh, fortunately, uh, fortunately, essentially uninjured. But that was a, you know, a, you know, a, a calamity. You know, not only and obviously for Neil and his girls and Michelle, but it was kind of like a bomb going off in the community. And this is up in the, you know, up in the Lake District. Everybody. Everybody kind of knew about it. There was a lot of tears shed for this wonderful woman who was who had two girls, and I guess for Neil, he Neil found himself out of the only relatively recently out of the army and civilian life. Um, you know, now a kind of a full time father, living in part of the country which he'd only just relatively recently moved to without a great kind of social network. And I was fortunate to bump into him, you know you know, quite early on. And we, you know, just had lots of shared, you know, shared ideas about the world, shared views, and he's gone on to become you know, a friend. And actually the, the organisation that I run now, Alerta Call, the, the day job as it were, um, he's actually a director 
in that and his leadership insight has been instrumental in us helping that you become a successful business throughout throughout your team yeah that's right what an amazing guy and and i i take my hat off to him and he he raises huge amounts of money for the charity that he set up in her memory yeah he he set up um, an organization called the michelle jerd trust which encourages well it raises money and uses that money to encourage young people predominantly in the south lakes to engage in artistic and adventurous activities it's also some of the money shared out with service charities as well for obvious reasons and we have an annual ball up in the Lake District once a year, which is an incredibly fun event now. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's a pleasure to be able to support that. Uh, that's great. Well, thank you for honouring him because I think he's a, a really special guy. And let's just, before we end with a, a final top tip, um, think about all these different businesses you've run. What, what would be some, you know, one or two of the highlights in your life that you're most proud of? Um, as a leader, as a leader, yeah, it's a great question. They they're all the time. I mean, it's, it's it, they're all the time. But it's very easy when you're running a business to focus on focus on the negative. I guess a lot of business improvement comes from you know seeking seeking out what is not quite right, not what is not what is not quite as good as it could be. Um, trying to move that forward. So I think the experience of lots of leaders, lots of CEOs and founders is one of actually for the most part looking at the problems, not looking at the things that are going well. Hmm. But it's an absolute joy and it has been in alert a call in particular to see people who joined us in a relatively junior capacity doing something that was yes important but I guess in the scheme of things a kind of an introductory role to the company and be with us six, seven, eight, nine years later transformed into being, you know, a hugely powerful and impressive person that really knows what they're doing. And I think, well, that is, that is exciting. That's special. And I do think, James, that, that you're unusual in that your company with, did you say 60 to 80 people? Working yeah, it's about 80, something in, like On that. two sites, one in the lakes and one in... Warrington. Warrington. Um, you're exceptional in that you provide coaching and therapeutic support to all your staff, and, and I haven't come across this anywhere else. Tell me about that. Yeah, so I'll talk a little bit about the, the, the inspiration for it to start with. So I've always felt that I'm the kind of guy that can make, make his projects happen. If I have an idea, I've got a high degree of self-belief that I can make it happen. Mm-hmm. And I've got the kind of the, the consummate levels of perseverance you know, obtuseness, really. Fell running. Well, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Um, character forming. Yes. To make stuff happen. But there's one area of my life where I've failed until relatively recently miserably to achieve that. And that is looking after my own well-being and yeah. fitness. So whilst I sit across opposite from you now looking like a relatively normal size and shape and form. I was actually a hundred pounds heavier really? only twelve months ago, several stone heavier. Wow! And I've really struggled with my uh, weight and fitness, my and my relationship with food and well-being my whole life, and um, I've never been able to make any time for myself. So if there's something that needs to happen in one of the projects. Well, I can work 150 hours a week on that. I can work every every minute. But going out for a walk for 10 minutes, going to the gym, walking up a hill, smelling the roses, making time for myself, my own well-being, 
that's always been a struggle for what, me. What changed? Because that's a major life change. What was the trigger? What was the trigger? The trigger was um, reaching, reaching really a, a couple of different health crises. Really, you know, I was very, very much overweight, extremely unfit, kind of lots of, you know, a medic would say comorbidities, whilst also running what are actually quite stressful ventures. There's no such thing as an easygoing startup. There just isn't such a thing. And I knew that ultimately, if I didn't get this sorted out, my life was going to be cut short by 10 or 20 years. And who, who cares that you've got some invention or some product or some service or some company to work if you're not going to be sticking around to see, uh, to see, you know, what happens in the longer term and sticking around with the people that you love. Or your daughter's birthday or... Well, exactly right. And I think actually the first inflection point was this, that, uh, um, so I I actually sold a business many years ago and um, decided to get fanatically into skydiving and parachuting. So I was actually very, very overweight in this business. managed to stumble across kind of a bit of a life hack which was which was centered around low carbing and lost a load of weight for a period um, which can have some real value to some people let's not get into um, nutrition and, and and diet stuff now but it, it worked for me at the time and I lost a lot of weight and regained a lot of fitness and became obsessed with jumping out of airplanes so I <laughs> I set up a skydiving business teaching people to skydive both here in the UK and actually also Florida and Spain and became completely obsessed with it and stayed lean and mean and, and slim for one little period in my 20s. Um, however, after coming out of that, I actually broke my leg skydiving. I broke mm. it quite badly and, you know, whilst jumping in Spain. And just to, to stop stop doing the fell running, didn't you? Well, that's right. Well, I, I stopped doing the fell running many years ago. I, yeah, that, that stopped when I was about fourteen. After, okay. I, but yeah, um, but my daughter was conceived and born shortly thereafterwards. And in the process of my kind of my wife's pregnancy, I actually gained loads more weight again, and I was smoking. And I just decided that you know this wasn't this wasn't good. This wasn't a good role model for my future daughter. And mm. Um, I wanted it to grow up with you know, learning the right thing. But that journey into understanding mm. what drove all that has been, um, has been long and arduous. So what I understand now is that actually what holds people back is how they think and feel about themselves and what they believe. Right. And I work through a lot of my stuff with an understanding of making time for introspection and also seeking out counselling and coaching. Brilliant. James, thank you very much indeed. It's been fabulous. I've learned so much from you. And good luck with your business. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks. Thank you. So, now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. 
And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.